uh, in chapter 4, we're going to get there in just a minute. If you were with us last week, um, we talked about rest and just entering the rest of God. And uh, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And, and, then, and then for a good, good portion of us, we probably left this place and we just thought, oh, yes, rest and Sabbath. And then we just got crazy busy, right? And then Monday rolled around and work schedules and alarms went off and your Google calendar started telling you all the things you have to do and all the messages and I got this and this and it got really, really busy. And you're just, wait, hold on a second. Didn't I just, wasn't I, didn't I supposed to get this whole rest thing figured out? And, and it just didn't, things got crazy. So um, I kind of want to expound on that a little bit this morning, but uh, how... How do I not go crazy when things get crazy? How do I, I keep that? And, and so I have a picture here that I'd like to show you guys before we uh, really get into the scripture this morning. Okay, um, there are so many things wrong with this picture on so many levels. First of all, this is my daughter Reese, and she is two years old. She is holding a book in her hand that says, Potty Training in Less Than a Day said no one ever except for the person who wrote this book she she has no idea how to read and yet here she is reading potty training in less than a day and in about 30 minutes she's going to pee her pants <laughs> and here here's the kind of thing sometimes we come to church and we kind of have this attitude like okay i'm going to come to church and i'm going to learn how to rest in less than a day. Uh, I'm going to learn how to, man, just peace and joy and all that. We're going to fix it in the next 45 minutes, right? Exactly. Like, come on, because we've been, it's McDonald's kind of stuff. Our way, right away. Well, that's Burger King, right? But like, you know, and it's just, we're kind of like, all right, there, just, just fix me. And, and then it's kind of like hearing a sermon on the topic of humility. And so you leave and you're like, man, I, I'm humble. And then you realize how prideful that is. For thinking you were humble? Like, okay, so that didn't work out. Like, and it's just like, that's kind of when we talk about rest. That's a little bit what it's like. See, you've spent years at a fast pace. You spent a long time working 16-hour days. You spent a good portion of your life, go, 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 go. And to just think that, oh, I'm going to get this thing fixed in a day, eh, the fact is, sometimes it's a journey. Uh, most of the time, it's a journey. Yeah, sometimes God comes in and like, boom, there's a change. And, uh, but for the most part, most of the time, man, it is a journey of learning these things, learning how to, le- how to have rest, how to have peace and joy and, and, and some of these things and, and, and humility. It, it's, a, it's a journey. It's a journey. Uh, so when we, let's read um, from the book of Philippians chapter 4, and what I offer this morning, what I offer this morning as we read is no quick fixes, but simply a step, a step uh, closer to Jesus on our journey this morning. Paul's writing this, Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So he's saying this, he's, he's speaking this to a church that 
that he's helped started a church that he loves, this church in Philippi. And he's saying, listen, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Now, this word rejoice here in the Greek uh, literally translates this. It literally translates to experience the grace of God. Or better yet, it could be said like this, to become aware of the grace of God in your life. To become conscious to the grace of God. So when he says rejoice, there's something in his, in his voice, in his tone that says like, have you become aware to the grace of God in your life? And it's not that he just says it one time, but he says it twice. He says, rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. And, and if you're looking in, in your Bibles, there's, there's probably an exclamation mark. And so we kind of see that, like, he really means it. But uh, originally, how this was written, there was no punctuation. In the Greek language, there's no punctuation, exclamation marks, periods, all this. And so oftentimes, when the writer would be writing, they would write the word twice to let the audience know this is important. So there's many times, a lot of times uh, when we read in the Gospels, there's times where Jesus says the things and he says it two times. We're like, why is Jesus repeating himself? Well, it's the equivalent of what we would call an exclamation point. It's like, listen, I want you to get this. This is important. So when Paul writes and he says, listen, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. He's saying, get this. Are you aware of the grace of God that is abounding and present in your life at this very moment? Because it is. It is. See, the difference is you becoming aware of it. You, you realizing just, oh my goodness, God. And you're here, and you're in this place, and you're living and breathing and moving, and your, your gracious hand is upon me. See, you don't know all the things that God has kept you from. You don't know all of the attacks that the enemy tried to take you out, and you didn't even know that God saved you. You don't know how much grace he's poured on you. You shouldn't be here right now. There, there, we, get, we get all attest, man, that the grace of God, and part of that Paul's saying from the, from the beginning here, listen, become aware of it. Being aware, no, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter whether it just feels like you just had the worst week and things are just going wrong, like still the grace of God is there and the grace of God is present. And you just feel like you're a million miles away or you don't know what I've done. And the grace of God is there. The grace of God is present. So rejoice, become aware and conscious to the grace of God in your life. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men that the Lord is at hand. He's saying like, this thing is tangible, that men can see it in your life. Have you ever seen someone and you just thought, man, why? There's something different about that person. Well, why are they so, and there's something, I don't know, I can't, like Kyle just sang this song, you haven't seen me until you've seen me filled with joy. Have you ever seen that person? There's just a joy in their life. There's just something different about them. What is it? And, and, and Paul's saying here, listen, there, there's something tangible about when you become aware of God's presence in your life, it's like a light that other people can see. And they'll see it, and they'll know that there's a difference. There's something going on. He goes on to say this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, 
whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And so he, he, he's given this kind of, listen, rejoice, become aware of what God is doing in your life. And, and the first thing he wants to kind of correct and show the church is like, it, it starts with how you think. It starts with how you think. See, you can't think wrong and live right. You can't think wrong and live right. And, and Paul's saying, listen, if there's anything good, if there's anything pure, like dwell on these, be anxious for nothing. See, anxiety starts in your mind. Anxiety starts with you beginning to think things that aren't even really there. Anxiety begins when all of a sudden something happens and your first instinct is to go worst case scenario, right? Something happens and all of a sudden, oh, your world is falling apart. Man, I've got a flat tire and I don't know if Jesus loves me anymore. I don't know. What did I do wrong? Oh, you, we've had those mornings. Come on now. Come on. And, and that, that's that anxiety. It's that, oh, no, well, well what, if, what if this person doesn't like me? What if, what if, they, what if they're offended because I did this? And, and like all this anxiety begins, and we just, we just work up worst-case scenario all the time. And, and then we begin to dwell on those things. And what happens is, and this is a medical fact, that when we begin to dwell on those things and that, that anxiety begins, it physically releases chemicals into your body. And you could actually begin to think yourself sick. You could actually begin to think yourself like, you know, and then there's that anxiety and that panic, and all of a sudden you could just feel it in your body like something's, something's not right. And, and because, well, something isn't right. Like, you, we've allowed ourselves to, like, be controlled. And Paul's saying, listen, this anxiety, all these things, you have got to learn to control your thoughts. You've got to, le- how, you've got to learn, and you've got to teach yourself how to not go there. Right? You've got to teach yourself how to not go there. Because you're going to want to go there. You're going to want to go there. And it's like, this is, in, in Romans 12, it says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. Let me kind of translate what Paul is saying here uh, to the Roman church. He's saying, listen, you need to realize that you've got a few loose screws. <laughs> There's a few things in your, br- in your brain that's not firing and connecting the way they should, Right? Like, have you ever been to Walmart kind of after 10 o'clock at night? And you meet those few people that you're like, yeah, they've got a few loose screws. Like, Walmart after 10, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, it gets crazy. I think there's, like, websites dedicated to Walmart after 10. And, and, but here's the thing, like, like, that's all of us. Like, there's some things about your thinking that it's not firing right. It's not clicking right. And you need to be transformed. You need, you need your mind renewed. You need to go back to the original state in which God has made you and intended for you. And part of that is, is learning, like, don't go there. Because sin has marred your thoughts. Sin has marred your thoughts. And this is from the very beginning. If I was to take you back to Genesis 1, original sin, think about it for a moment. Adam and Eve, 
They're in the garden. It's beautiful. It's paradise. Everything is absolutely perfect. They take, they sin, and what is their response? They're like, and we saw our nakedness and were ashamed. Think about that. We saw our nakedness and we were ashamed. Ashamed of what? They're the only two there. Like, hey, Jim down the street, he's going to see me. Like, no, there is no Jim. It's Adam and Eve. Like, there's animals and stuff. They don't care. Like, ashamed of what? They're like, well, well, maybe they're ashamed that God will see them. And, and so they hid in the bushes. But, but, like, but God is the one who made them. Like, I formed you. I, you know, dust one day, Adam the next. Like, I, I've seen you. I've seen your nakedness. And yet, so they're feeling the shame for no reason at all. There's nothing. The, the shame that they're feeling is self-induced. The shame is like, no, no, no one else is seeing it except for them. And, and, and they've come up with a plan, and this is how I'm going to cover it up. And this is how it's, and, and it doesn't work. And, and that's the way anxiety works. And that, that's the way our, our, when our brain is marred by sin, it begins to go to these places and do these things that honestly make no sense at all. And we try to hide from God. And God's like, I made you. I see all that. All that stuff that you think nobody else knows about. Yeah, I, I, I see all that. And I'm still calling you home anyway. I'm still saying rejoice. Become aware of my grace for your life. Rejoice. What can I say? Rejoice. See, you'll have every opportunity in life to think bad thoughts. It's, it, it's easy to think bad. It's easy to get depressed. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to fill your life with pity. And, and, and just, it's, all of that stuff, it, that stuff comes natural. Like the pity parties and all that stuff and, and all the things that we want to say, oh, it's so bad. Like it's easy to, to look at society and culture and get down. It's easy to throw rocks at the church and say, well, the church is doing this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. Yeah, it is. It's easy to like, I, Trump or Hillary. It's easy to get depressed. Like, I'm joking, y'all. Lighten up. Kind of joking. Anyway, so, but, Paul's saying, like, but with all of this, with all this craziness, with all of everything that's going on, going wrong, and, and he's writing this at a time where, man, things are crazy. I mean, they're putting Christians in jail. People are getting killed. And he's writing this, like, but in all of this, rejoice. Become aware that the grace of God is still present. And he's still very much alive and active. And he says, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to learn how to be anxious for nothing. And everything, like your prayer and supplication, be known to God. He's saying, listen, you've got to learn how to control your thoughts. What if? Imagine if you lived and you actually believed the best in people. What would your life look like if you chose to believe the best? What would your life look like if you chose to believe the good? What would your life look, look like if you chose to believe God would actually do what he says he will do? If you actually believe that, if we actually believe that, well, what would your life look like if you weren't afraid of sharks? Right? You would enjoy the beach a lot more. Right? I actually looked this up this week. The odds of you getting killed by a shark, three point or, or 3,748,067 is your odds. And yet your odds 
of dying of a heart-related disease is one in five. You'll eat a cheeseburger, but you won't go to the beach. I'm just saying, McDonald's, one in five. Ocean Isle Beach, three million seven hundred something, you know. It's the fear. It's the anxiety. It's the thoughts that worst case scenario, this is what's going to happen. And Paul's saying, listen, don't let yourself go there. Believe all things. Hope all things. Endure all things. Love. Love. See, because this anxiety, this worry that, like, will allow our minds to go there, it comes from a place of unrest, and we have to train our minds. We have to renew our minds, and it is a process. It is a process. He goes on to say this in in verse 9. says, the things now which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and God and the God of peace will be with you. Paul said, listen to this, I've shown you a model. All these things that I've talked about, you, you've seen them, you've heard them, and you've seen them in me. You, you've learned these things from me, you've received them from me, you've heard them, you saw them. Like, M- Paul has modeled this out. Paul has been one that he has gone through tremendous pain and suffering. I mean, he has been beaten for the gospel. He has been uh, shipwrecked. I mean, there is... There's a list of stuff that has happened to Paul. He's writing letters from prison. He's been falsely accused. All of this stuff that's happened to him. And yet he could still write this and he could say rejoice. If anybody had a reason to get down, it could have been Paul. And he's like, listen, and these things which you've done or, or you've heard and seen in me through all I've been, you've got to learn to do these, these things. It's, it's, it's this prayer that he offers. He says, he, Paul, just like us, he has every opportunity to get down and, and depress and allow the anxiety to, to overtake his life. But he says this, he says, he says, all of that and everything by prayer and supplication, he's saying, give it to God. He's saying, when, when all of those thoughts come into your mind and, and, and try to get you to go there, he's saying, this is what you've got to do. You've got to learn how to pray. You've got to learn how to just give it to God. You've got to learn how to say, you know, you, you know God, this is yours. Because here's the thing about prayer. When you start to pray, it doesn't always change the situation. But it always changes you. It changes you. See, you can't leave prayer without being changed. Like, it changes you always. And, and I think one of the, the, the great examples of this is Jesus in the garden. He's getting ready to face the cross and, and, and he is under, I mean, he is sweating blood. I mean, all these things. He's tried to take his disciples with him. Guys, just pray with me. They fall asleep. What are you guys doing? Y'all not know the day and the hour, the time, the season that's upon us? Pray with me. They fall asleep. Again, but then the third time, when Jesus has come from this time with the Father, and, and he, he wakes up and he's just, the hour is at hand. Let's do this thing. And, and, and I think there was something about Jesus spending time with God. Jesus spending time with the Father. That it just, it just did something in him that whenever he was, he was getting hung on that cross, he could say, forgive them. They know not what they do. He could do that because he spent time with God. He spent time in prayer. He's, he's given it to God. Uh, the, actually, where this happened in Gethsemane, uh, this actually literally translates the oil press of God. It's where there's pressing 
took forward and when not my will but your will be done see that's what happens in prayer we get to a point where we say okay god this is it i've laid it all out on the table but nevertheless nevertheless not my will but yours be done and Paul's saying, like, this is part of it. When all those thoughts try to, try to enter your mind and you try to go to worst-case scenario, just pray. Just give it to God. He said, I've modeled this out for you. I've shown it. But here's the thing. It's like, it's not en- enough just to have the model. Like, Paul's shown us the model. Jesus has shown us the model. There's been men and women in your life that have modeled this out for you. But he's saying these things that you've seen and hear and, and saw in me, do these things. <laughs> We have to actually put them into practice. Like, it's not enough to just see it in others. It's not enough to just have the information and the pastor kind of tell us, okay, well, this is what we're supposed to do. Like, we have to actually do it. We have to walk it out. We have to learn what it is, putting it into action. He goes on to say this, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity, not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know. <clears throat> I know how to abase and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we love that verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But like the couple verses that's leading up to that, like he's saying like, I know I, I could be full and I could be hungry. I could do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. See, what happens is, uh, actually, let me back up a second. In, I believe in the, the King James translation and some other translation, uh, this, this particular portion of Scripture actually, actually says this, where it talks about in re, regarding of need. I have learned, it actually translates uh, oh, into the English, I have learned this secret. I have learned the secret. Paul's saying, like, there is a secret to contentment. Like, it's hidden from a lot of people. There's a majority, there's a good portion of people in this world that don't know the secret of contentment, how to truly live content. And see, what happens when it comes to contentment, oftentimes we divide ourselves into two different fields. We, we, we find ourselves in, in a state of mind that says, um, well, if I, if I just have this, then I'll be happy, and then I'll be content. And so it's, it's pretty much driven by an abundance kind of attitude. Uh, the abundance, like how Paul kind of even says, like, the full belly. You know, I know what it is to be full. Like, and so, like, whenever I get this, whenever I get the new house, whenever I get the new car, whenever I get the promotion, then I'm going to be content. And, and, and for some of us in this room, we've gotten those things, and we didn't find the peace. We didn't find the contentment. We got everything that our hearts desired, and still we found ourselves lonely and hurt and, and, and pain and still chasing after something else. And, and so what happens is, if we're not careful, oftentimes 
it gets flipped around or we've been taught or we begin to think that the opposite. So, so if contentment doesn't come into the abundance of things, it must come in, in the separation from all things and that so like to, to just make ourselves uh, of poverty and, and of monks. And so like uh, there's a total disattachment and we don't need anything. And, and so like we give everything away and all of a sudden we're like, but I've given everything and we're still not happy. And, and, or, or we've kind of heard the missionary stories of, man, the families over in, in these third world countries and, and the poverty that, that they have, and yet still the joy that they have. And so we kind of misinterpret that as if, well, if I've kind of detached myself from all these things, then maybe I'll find the joy in that. And yet, l- let me kind of clear that up for you. There are miserable poor people. There are miserable poor people. There are miserable rich people. See, contentment doesn't have anything to do with how much stuff you have or how much little you have. And so then there's the third kind of logic that says, well, if it's not in the abundance of stuff and it's not, it's not in, 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 in any of giving it all away, well, maybe the answer is to kind of find ourselves in the middle ground. And, and so we find ourselves, a lot of what I think the, at least the United States is uh, kind of misinterpreting today of this kind of sense of equality, that everybody has to be equal, that, that we gotta, we got to... We've got to raise the poor up, and we've got to bring the rich down. And if everybody has the exact same thing, then we'll, we'll all be content. That's false. Because here's the thing. Even if everyone in here had the exact same thing, we will find a way to be jealous of what someone else has. We will find a way to want what someone else has. We'll, we'll find a way to, to absolutely destroy it. There's a different meaning to contentment. And before I get there, I want to tell you um, a story. It's actually um, it's an old Jewish commentary. Uh, a Jewish rabbi writes this, and he's, he's writing this commentary on Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. And um, we were familiar with the Ten, Ten Commandments, um, you shall have no other gods before me, no graven images, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, remember the Sabbath, no murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal all the, the Ten Commandments. But he gets down, and he's, he's writing this commentary, and let me be very clear that this is commentary. This is one writer's thoughts about the Scripture. This isn't the Scripture. But he gets down to the Tenth Commandment, and the Tenth Commandment is this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his oxen, nor his donkey, nor anything else that is your neighbor's. So he's talking about, you know, thou shalt not covet. And he writes this. He says, we look at the Ten Commandments as all being commandments of things that we have to rule and obey. He says, but this tenth one is a little bit different. And he says, actually, uh, in, in the Hebrew, it actually translates, it says, and you will not covet. And he says it translates, and it reads more like a promise. And he says this, because whenever you obey the first nine, the tenth is a gift. Whenever you've learned what it is to truly have no other gods before him, to, to remember the Sabbath, to not still not to, to, to not have any false images. It's a gift from God to not want anything else that anybody has. And it is. 
It's a total gift from God to be total content with what God has given you. And when, if God's given your neighbor this thing or this person this thing, you're happy for him. But you're content with what God has given you. And it is, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. There's an old cartoon. And in this cartoon, this shows these two huge grass fields. And there's these two donkeys in the fields. And there's a, 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 a fence running down the middle of these fields. And, and one donkey has uh, stuck his head through the fence and is eating on the other side. And the other donkey on the other side stuck his head through the fence and is eating on the other side. And they eat so much that they get themselves trapped in the fence. And then the subtitle just says, be content. But that's the truth, right? Like we kind of want to stick our, like we have all of this that God's given us, but yet we kind of want to stick our head to the other side, and it's a trap. It's a trap. Like contentment is a gift. And, And that's why Paul says, listen, I've learned this secret. I've, worn, I've learned what it is to be content. And there's been times in my life where I've had an empty stomach. And there's been times in my life when I've had a full stomach. There's been times in my life where I know what it is to abound and just everything is going great and everything is wonderful. And I know what it's like to be at the absolute worst and being left for dead. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned this secret. I know what it is to be content, to truly find ourselves in the Lord. He says, uh, the, the commentary writer actually says this too. He says, when, when, when we find ourselves uh, holding on, uh, obeying the other nine, and this tenth one being a promise, he says, we find ourselves in a place where we may have everything or we may have nothing, but the one thing that we do have is Jesus Jesus. See, when you are free to just be at peace with what you have, man, there's a there's an aspect of the glory of God in that that I can't explain it to you this morning. You just you'd have to you'd have to experience it for yourself to to know what it is to truly be content. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. You can't think wrong and live right. You can't truly pray and not be changed. You can't covet and be at rest. You can't covet and be at rest. See, there is an art to thinking. Whatever things are good, whatever things are pure, dwell on these things. About, I don't know, I guess it was a year and a half ago or so, my buddy Keith um, they found out that they were pregnant, and during the pregnancy, they began to find out there was all kinds of complications with the baby, and Keith would call, and we would talk, and uh, different things were happening, and this was the scripture that I kept telling him, said, listen, whatever things are good, whatever things are pure, dwell on these things. It's a gift from God. Yeah, I know the doctors kind of want you to go there. The doctors want, to, want you to go worst case scenario. Just begin to speak life. Just speak life over that baby. And yeah, there, there, there was some rocky patches. But I want to let you know today that that baby is alive and healthy and doing well. And part of it, though, was Keith having to change his thinking. 
having to change, cha- change the way. Like, I'm not going to go there. I'm speaking life into the situation. Uh, I, I'm renewing my mind. Paul's saying, like, this is, this is uh, uh, something, church, that you guys need to know. Dwell on these things. Whenever other things try to flood your mind, give it to God. There's an art to prayer. There's an art to learning how to, to be anxious for nothing but being thanksgiving with everything. You don't know how to pray? Let me, let me, here's, your, here's, here's a, a wonderful tip on learning how to pray. Start off with just being thankful. It doesn't matter what kind of day you've had, how bad things are life, just, just start being thankful. Just start thanking God. God, I just, I thank you that I'm alive. I thank you that there's breath in my lungs. I thank you that there is a roof over my head. It might be leaking, but there's a roof over my head. God, I thank you for my kids. I thank you for my wife. I think even though my kids are acting crazy right now, I thank you for them anyway. And just begin to thank God. See, when you begin to thank God, it, it, it begins to change you. It begins to change your mind. It begins to change your thinking. Learn the art of being thankful. Learn the art of prayer. Learn the art of contentment. Because when you are truly content, when you are truly free from wanting what someone else is having, you'll find that you have the greatest gift of all. That's Jesus Christ. You'll find that it doesn't matter if you're on top of the world or if you're on your lowest day. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And so rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Become aware to the amazing grace of God that's at present in your life right now. Stand with me as we worship. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on, be.